This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd, and a Happy New Year to all of you. Happy New Year, Archbishop Sample. Happy New Year. We are beginning a brand new year. Yes, I heard you saying that coming in. (laughs) It's wonderful. And you know, today is the day that we are going to give thanks and, and give our blessings for Pope Emeritus yes. Benedict XVI. We want to dedicate this program in his honor and his memory, but particularly to pray for him. And then as, as true tradition, for him to pray for Amen. us. Amen. Uh, as we begin this wonderful program of tribute and honor of a man who's impacted our lives and our love of Jesus, would you please open us in prayer? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for all of your wondrous gifts. And today... Father, we give you a special praise and thanks for the gift of the life and the, and the ministry of your servant, your beloved son, your bishop and pope, Pope Benedict XVI. Lord, we ask you to grant him his place now in the heavenly liturgy as we reflect on his life here today. Lord, we ask you to send out the Holy Spirit into the minds and hearts of our listeners so that they will be inspired by this man's holy life. So we place this time in your hands, Father, asking you to lead us and guide us. All this we ask in the most holy name of Jesus, your Son, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, our New Year's Day, the word came out that Pope Benedict had died, and you know, what a gift to the church. And I think this is, we were planning on discussing him. Uh, Pope Francis invited us a week ago to pray for the mm-hmm. needs of Pope Benedict. We know his, his health has been failing. And so uh, I think it's just an interesting way that God is calling him home. And I thought today we could just talk about some memories, some thoughts, some great influences. I, I just think for me being a, a convert to the Catholic faith, I witnessed that funeral of Pope St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. and I saw Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger's involvement in that funeral. Right. And that was my first oh, introduction wow. to him, yeah. was to watch him preside at that funeral. And I thought, there's something special about this man. Yes. And of course, not too long afterwards, he was announced as our Holy Father. So, um now, you were both appointed in Marquette by Pope Benedict, mm-hmm. and then for here in Portland. Right. Uh, was his one of his last appointments? Right, exactly. Uh, in fact, um, yes, he, he, he appointed me to be the Bishop of Marquette. It's interesting because uh, I was appointed the Bishop of Marquette on December 13th, St. Lucy Day, in 2005, uh, but he had become the Holy Father only uh, several months mm-hmm. before. And this process of naming a bishop takes a good year. And I know that the, the process to appoint me a bishop in 
uh, Marquette actually began during the pontificate of St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. but was completed under the pontificate of Benedict XVI. So yes, he appointed me to be the Bishop of Marquette, uh, and I was ordained bishop there. But then he also uh, was the Pope to move me, transfer me here, uh, and to name me the Archbishop of Portland in Western Oregon. And then three weeks after he uh, appointed me here. He resigned his office, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in fact, when I uh, I had, uh, as I mentioned on on Catholic Answers Live uh, the other day, um, Pope uh, Benedict the Sixteenth granted me a private audience with him for about fifteen minutes, about a year after he was uh, out of office, uh, and uh, I was blessed to be given that opportunity to speak with him. And I, and I approached him and I said, Holy Father, you know, you appointed me the Bishop of, of uh, Portland. And I, I was wanted to say, and I, and I never got to thank you for that. And he, he, but he blurted out, he says, yes, he says, you were one of my last appointments. <laughs> so he, he remembered uh, the appointment so close to his time uh, to finish out his, his uh, sitting on the, on the chair of Peter. Mm-hmm. I guess we have Pope Benedict to thank for bringing you here to the West Coast. Or to Coast. blame. Or to blame. <laughs> Depending on how, how you think. <laughs> I say Thanksgiving for sure. And there's so many things. You know, I think about his parents and that influence of his family life. This is what influences our faith right. is how we're brought up. Mm-hmm. Of course, in Germany, his father went in police. His mother was a cook. I mean, very simple farmer yeah. lifestyle, but yet his intellect. Oh. And as a professor, as a teacher, Teacher, as a scholar, theologian, that just grew in his in his life. Yes, you know the Lord. Uh, to me, the Lord clearly had His hand on this man, obviously from mm-hmm. from his earliest days. But yes, you know, coming from very humble beginnings, as so many, really, so many of the of the great leaders of the church over over the years have have had that same story of just coming from very humble, very simple mm-hmm. beginnings and, 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 and uh, growing up. And yet he becomes this intellectual giant in, in the, the church. I mean, one of the most brilliant minds, really, I think, of, of modern times, especially in the theological realm. I mean, a great theologian, a, a great um, articulator of the faith. You know, he, he wasn't—he wasn't only brilliant, and I, I think he truly is was brilliant. And um, he was, but he was also, I think, very accessible in terms of his writings. Uh, he was a very clear teacher and a very clear writer. So he was obviously he had a brilliant mind and a very complex theological mind, but he was able to communicate those eternal truths. In, in ways that, that were very, I think, accessible for most people. Um, quite honestly, and, and I, listen, I, I, I have a great love and affection for his beloved predecessor, Pope St. John Paul II. But, you know, Pope St. John Paul II was hard to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's a, a great philosopher, and, and, and I found John Paul II kind of hard to, believe, to read sometimes. I'd have to read things two or three times to kind of get get what he was, he was teaching. Whereas with Pope Benedict... Uh, he just was, he was just, it, there was a clarity and a succinctness and a, and a logical flow to his thought uh, that, that was really just, just very brilliant. So many people have talked about and obviously giving honor to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, his passion, his intellect, but that calmness, that 
he was not very comfortable being around big crowds, certainly in the lectures with his students, but not with these huge crowds oh, that yeah. he would see on different papal visits to see how the Lord worked with this very humble uh, but succinct man. He put things together in order, and, and I love hearing that about him. Yeah, even in his, you know, I think uh, those of us who remember, and I remember like it was yesterday, his appointment uh, or his election uh, to be the Pope, and that scene of him stepping out for the first time on the balcony over St. Peter's Square, you can even see that, that you know, he's, I mean, he's putting on, I think, a very good front, if you will, but you can <laughs> see that there's some really unease with that, that, that hugely public role now, because he was really a, a, a very humble a very simple man in in many ways. Uh, He was an introvert, uh, for sure. And yeah, and and kind of an intellectual. And but it was his gentleness and his kindness that that was so striking to me. You know, it was so unfair. Because I met him, I I met him several times uh, after his his election as Pope. But I met him uh, on one occasion, uh, while well, I was studying in Rome when he was still Cardinal Ratzinger and, and head of the uh, Doctrine of the Faith. And uh, I had a, a conversation with him in, after one of the papal masses uh, with another seminarian or another priest, actually, that was there. I was a priest studying in Rome at that time. And uh, he did. He just he came across as this very kind, gentle man. And he had had the people had made this caricature of him, of this hard liner a rigid theologian, sort of this unpastoral kind of character. They even, you know, he had horrible things like calling him, you know, Cardinal Rottweiler and, you know, all of this, these horrible uh, characterizations of him that just simply were not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that was what was so frustrating about it is that the caricature of him was not true. He was very gentle and a very kind, a very pastoral uh, a man. And you see that, you see that not only in his writings and in his preaching and teaching, but but also in his in his governance of, of the church, he governed really from with a pastor's heart. Let's talk a little bit about his influence. We were talking off the air at the Second Vatican Council. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the 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 scholarliness, his theology, and then he came really along with what Karawatiwa, uh, both very influential in the discussions and then the letters that would come from the Second Vatican Council. Right, you know, and I think this is something that that we must remember, and this has to be a, a major part of the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, uh, he he was a, a a priest, a bishop, and a pope of the Second Vatican Council. Mm-hmm. And those of us who were alive in those times and remember in part of the church, uh, you know, in in the late 1960s and the into the 1970s, there was great confusion in the wake of the council. Great confusion. I mean, I, I remember it, and and I remember I was a young person. I was high school student and late early early college student during those years. And it was it was perplexing because it was like the church in some ways had lost her rudder. And after the council, and it wasn't the council's fault at all. It was not the teachings of the council. It was not the documents of the council, but it was the implementation, the interpretation, how the council was being presented was causing tremendous confusion in the church. But we had two individuals at the council who were extremely involved at the council. One was then uh, Cardinal Karo Wojtyla, who was uh, the Archbishop of Krakow, who uh, later John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, 
He was a bishop at the council. He lived the council. He influenced the council. He was a major figure at the Second Vatican Council, and that's in many ways, that's how he got on everybody's radar that eventually elevated him to the papacy. So he was a bishop of the council. Mm -hmm. Then you had then Father (laughs) Joseph Ratzinger, who was a peritus, an expert, a theological expert at the council. So uh, Father Ratzinger was very involved in the council and in those theological discussions and all that was going into and what the intent and what the mind of the council fathers was. So you had, after those years of confusion, and listen, uh, St. Paul VI, you know, did his level best Mm -hmm. uh, to implement the council because he also was a cardinal and bishop of the council. Uh, But there was so much uh, going on in the church universal, so much dissent, so much misappropriation of the teachings and misinterpretation. He did the best he could. But then you had these two giants that came back to back. You had Pope St. John Paul II, this great philosopher Pope who was a a man of the council who, who set the record straight in terms of the proper implementation and interpretation of the council itself. Then, and of course, then Cardinal Ratzinger, now who becomes the head of the doctrinal office of the church, he's there side by side with St. John Paul II, implementing the teachings to, to implement the council in that what, what Pope Benedict would later call this hermeneutic of continuity, mm-hmm. that you have to interpret the Second Vatican Council in continuity with the 2,000-year tradition of the church. This idea that some people seem to have in their mind that the church suddenly sort of hit a reset button at the Second Vatican Council or or started anew or somehow this was, you know, something completely radically new. It's just it's just to misunderstand the council entirely. And really, uh, uh, Pope St. John the 23rd's intent in calling the council. Mm -hmm. Um, So you had these two giant figures who sort of set the record straight, if you will, in the proper interpretation, a proper reading of the Council, a proper understanding, and a proper implementation of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. You had uh, two men who were of the Council and were at the Council. So I think we mustn't forget that, that that is, I think, one of the greatest legacies of, of Pope Benedict XVI will be his proper understanding and implementation of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. And, um, you know, as I said, in this hermeneutic of continuity, that the documents of the Second Vatican Council, which was not there to introduce any new teachings, has to be read in continuity with the longer tradition of the church. I think that's that's one of the great insights of, of Pope Benedict XVI, this, this idea of a hermeneutic of interpretation in continuity with the church's longstanding past and tradition. Hmm. It's so important. And then we think about what came a few decades later was the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And again, with with Pope Benedict being in that position right. to work on the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, again, keeping that keeping that consistency, going back to the tenets of the Church. Exactly. And this was one, the, you know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church was really uh, the, the, uh, the impetus for that came out of one of the synods of bishops. I don't remember which synod it was, quite honestly. Maybe it was on uh, the Year of Faith. But anyway, it was it was the council, it was the synod fathers who asked for a catechism, again, because we had been through all these years of confusion where we didn't know what mm-hmm. the church taught anymore, false teachings were being imparted to our people, we needed a, a reference point again. We had the, the, the catechism of the Council of Trent, 
was the last official catechism produced by the church. We needed a catechism now for our time that would, you know, sort of implement also the insights, not the new teachings, Mm -hmm. but the insights of the Second Vatican Council. And so uh, Pope uh, John Paul II called for that production of a new catechism, and guess who oversaw that project? Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI. And so again, there you have the two bringing to the church really what can might you call the, the catechism of, of the Second Vatican Council. In fact, you know, it's, it's a, a, probably a little-known fact now because the time has passed, but a former uh, Archbishop of Portland, uh, Cardinal, uh, our good friend, the, the former Archbishop, the former prefect, uh, William Leveda, who later became, yeah. he became, Cardinal Leveda became Benedict's successor at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And many people wonder, well, how did Cardinal Levada, Archbishop Levada in San Francisco get named to that post? Well, because Cardinal Ratzinger had come to know him because then Archbishop Levada of the Archdiocese of Portland had collaborated with Cardinal Ratzinger on the production of that catechism. Mm. In fact, Cardinal Levada told me that he largely worked on the, the glossary uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the catechism. So there's even a local Portland connection uh, to, to Benedict and, and to the catechism that, that, that we're talking about. Mm. Remembering Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, again, continue to keep him in your prayers, in your rosaries. On Thursday, for those who are listening to The Voice of the Shepherd on Tuesday night, Thursday night at the cathedral, 530, you'll be offering a Mass uh, for Pope Benedict? Right. We will have a memorial Mass. I, I, I tell you something. I so I, I said to myself over these last uh, couple years, when, when the time comes for Pope Benedict XVI to be called home to, to the Heavenly Liturgy, you know, I'm going to want to go to that funeral. And I, 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 when I received the news, I seriously looked into it, actually. But it was because of my schedule and commitments I have that I cannot change. And also, quite honestly, the, the, the cost was pretty high at the short of notice. And I didn't, I didn't realize he'd be having the funeral so quickly. So we're going to have a memorial mass for Pope Benedict XVI on the same day as his funeral. Mm-hmm. Obviously not at the same time, but uh, on the same day as his funeral. We will celebrate a Mass at 5.30 p.m. this Thursday, January 5th, at St. Immaculate Conception Cathedral here in Portland. And I really urge as many of our faithful and religious and priests as possible, please come to pray together at this Holy Mass for this wonderful servant uh, of, of the Lord. You know, when he, when he was announced... Uh, he, see, he was so humble. If you remember, I don't, I'm not going to get the exact quote, I'm sure. But when he stepped out on those balcony of St. Peter's to be presented as a new pope, he, he's in his words, he said, after the the great pontificate uh, <laughs> right. of, of uh, St. John Paul II, you know, I mean, who was going to follow that act, right? After the great pontificate of St. John Paul II, or Pope John Paul II, the Lord has chosen me a humble mm-hmm. worker in the vineyard of the Lord. Uh, to 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 be the successor to Saint Peter, and I think really that's how he saw himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he never wanted to be pope, and, right? And he he as much as said that in his writings. In in a, uh, there's a wonderful book called The Light of the World, which is a an interview uh, uh, with him by a fellow by the last name of Seawald, and uh, he very much wanted to retire. He had asked uh, Pope John Paul II more than once to retire. Because he wanted to go back and be a scholar, he wanted mm-hmm. to teach again, he wanted to to write, and he saw him. That's how he saw himself. He was a he was a theologian. He was a scholar. He was a teacher. He just was going to bury himself in his studies and reflect and, and and meditate for the rest of his life. And he wanted to retire. And 
and uh, the Holy Spirit had other plans for him, and he didn't want to be Pope, and uh, yet uh, the Holy Spirit put, put his finger on him. We certainly have heard that same type of a message from many other popes in the past, and even saints who didn't want to have a particular position, but the Lord calls Mm -hmm. when there is a great need, and certainly he has filled in with such love. I want to have you reflect a little bit, Archbishop, just about how Pope Benedict has reflected Christ, Jesus Christ. I think about the trilogy of, of Jesus, but when I think of Pope Benedict, I think about the man who introduced me more closely to Christ through Scripture, through the Word, but I just have a connection with Jesus mm-hmm. and Pope Benedict. Well, I think I think this is one of the hallmarks of the papacy of uh, of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth was his profound and clear emphasis on on Jesus Christ. I mean, of course, every bishop, every priest, every pope, sure. <laughs> you know, has central to to their life and their teaching uh, uh, Jesus Christ. But but Benedict uh, put a special Emphasis on that, on on Christ, on Jesus, and drawing us closer to Christ in a number of ways. I mean, his very first encyclical letter to the church, Deus Caritas Est, God is love. In the very beginning of that encyclical letter, and this this has been one of those phrases that I've really latched on to even much more uh, recently in, in a stronger way, and really... Deus Caritas Est, I think, is one of the greatest papal encyclicals ever written. And it's all about, again, encountering mm-hmm. Christ and Jesus in love. And Pope Benedict says there, he says, look, being Christian is not an ethical choice right. or a lofty idea. In other words, it's not a, a, a choice to live by a certain moral code, or it's not some philosophical way of living and looking at life as a lofty idea. No, <clears throat> he says, it is an encounter with a person and with an event that gives a new horizon to life and a definitive direction to your life. And that encounter is with Jesus and with the event of our redemption that he summarizes then by quoting John three sixteen: for God so loved the world uh, so that whoever, you know, uh, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not die, but have eternal life. It's about that encounter with Jesus that's what Pope Benedict was all about, was that we encounter Jesus, that we encounter him and the event of our salvation, and that that encounter would transform our lives. And I think that's why one of his, probably his most well-known and what will probably be one of his most enduring works is Jesus of Nazareth, his three-volume uh, reflection and teaching on the life of Jesus from the scriptures. And he very intentionally did not want this study of Jesus of Nazareth from the scriptures to be uh, this scholarly, biblical scholarship, historical, critical sort of presentation of the Gospels. He wrote it, and he said this as much. He wrote it so that we could encounter Jesus, so that we could come to know the Jesus of the Gospels. That, that, they, that it's just not an academic exercise to study scripture. It's not just about some remote historical figure. But in presenting Jesus through his work, Jesus of Nazareth in three volumes, he, he wanted us through the scriptures to be able to have a real encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God made flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about the date of when Pope Benedict 
breathed his last breath on the vigil of Mary, Mother of God. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, that devotion that he has to the Blessed Virgin Mary, he would always talk about and refer us back to the Blessed Mother. Yeah. What an example. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's funny. Well, first of all, yeah, you know, he died, interestingly enough. Uh, Saturday was a tough day for me, let's yeah. put it that way, the 31st, because it was also the fifth anniversary of my own mother's death. She passed away on, on Jan December 31st as well. Uh, so it was kind of a, a little, I was already going to be remembering that sorrow, and then to, to learn of the death of, of my beloved former Pope, uh, Benedict XVI, was, it was a tough day. But yes, he had a great devotion to Our Lady. In fact, that, that uh, personal audience that I, I referred to earlier that he gave me after his resignation uh, happened following his daily evening rosary walk, walk in the in the Vatican Gardens. He and Archbishop Ganschwein, his personal secretary, walked the gardens every evening before dinner uh, to pray the rosary. And as they were coming in from praying the rosary is, is when I had that, that encounter with him. Uh, yeah, so he, like his beloved predecessor, uh, you know, Pope St. John Paul II, you know, uh, loved loved the Rosary, loved loved Our Lady, and you know, I think uh, Pope Francis also has has pointed that out mm -hmm. uh, about Pope Benedict, and has shown. I think Benedict or Pope Francis is the one that said that uh, you can tell by the writings of Benedict the Sixteenth, because Pope Francis has great respect for for the teachings and the writings of him. He said, "You can tell that this is a theologian who did theology on his knees. Yeah. He did theology on his knees. It was prayer." It came from his own encounter with Jesus. You know, I don't know if you've, if, if anybody's heard, uh, uh, but uh, the, uh, the last, as reported by Archbishop mm -hmm. Bishop Ganschwein, who was there at his deathbed, the last words on the lips of this uh, saintly man were, "I love you, Jesus." Mm -hmm. I mean, that just that just uh, sends chills down my spine. Quite honestly, that. This man who sought so much to, to introduce us to Jesus and to bring us into that life-giving, transformative encounter with Jesus, that the last words on his lips were simply that, mm -hmm. I love you, Jesus. Yeah. And uh, as someone reflected, he probably closed his eyes, opened them on the other side, and <laughs> there was Jesus saying, and I love you too, Joseph. Mm -hmm. Well done, good and faithful yeah, servant. Yeah. Very good and faithful servant. Let's continue to pray for the eternal rest of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and to continue to pray for the church, and then we'll ask him to pray for Yeah, us. you know, since his passing, um, well, first of all, his great love for the liturgy and his teachings on the sacred liturgy guide my own thinking, quite honestly. But so we, we pray for him now to be entered into the heavenly liturgy in his place, take his place in the liturgy that goes on in, in heaven uh, for all eternity. And I, I quite honestly, I feel a special closeness to him. And it was very strange. The day after the first holy hour I went to, the day after his, his death, I, had, I, I felt a very strange closeness to him. Uh, I, I've already been praying to him. We can't pray publicly to him because we can't have public cult to somebody who's not declared a saint, right. but uh, we can still ask for his intercession, mm -hmm. and, I, and I will do so daily, I think now, uh, just asking him to continue to intercede for me and, and guide me in my own pastoral care for the people of Western Oregon. Absolutely. Let's continue to pray and make that part of our spiritual resolution. And with that, would you help us close with your yes. blessing? Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. 
May his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. Until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.